We're expecting the final attack at any moment. Our men are surrounded and outnumbered, almost four to one. Just returning from headquarters to the trenches, Major Benjamin Talmadge spoke softly to his fellow officers so as not to be overheard by the soldiers around them. We are low on powder as always, and the British fleet is even now preparing to sail up the East River to cut off any chance of retreat. It was August 27, 1776. Only six weeks after the Continental Congress had voted to accept the Declaration of Independence. And things were not looking good for the Continental Army. To fight would mean defeat. And surrender was out of the question. What are we going to do? What are we going to do then? A lieutenant asked. Firmly rely on the protection of divine providence was General George Washington's reply. God has not brought us this far to desert us. Little did the officers know that they were about to see the most amazing episode of divine intervention in the entire Revolutionary War. The Americans waited all afternoon and no attack came. The night passed quietly. They waited all the next day as well. Why had the British not attacked? They clearly outnumbered the Americans. Perhaps they were waiting for the winds to change so their warships could join in the battle. While George Washington waited, he was inspired with a daring plan. By night, they would secretly evacuate the entire army, 8,000 men across the East River. It was a desperate move. The East River was a mile wide. And wouldn't the British see them in the moonlight or hear the splashing of their oars? Not to mention the the sound that 8,000 men would make, no matter how quiet they tried to be. Was it a coincidence that just the day before, a regiment of Massachusetts fishermen had come over to reinforce Washington's army? Were they joined by equally skilled mariners from Salem? Together, they would gather the necessary rowboats, and then all night long, they would make the dangerous two-mile round trip Rowing expertly and soundlessly back and forth, their boats loaded with men, supplies, cannons, carts, cattle, and horses. But as the next day dawned, the retreat was far from complete. At least three more hours were needed. Major Talmadge's unit was among those who remained. They watched, silent but anxious, knowing that without the cover of night, they would be exposed to certain discovery and fierce attack. Major Talmadge described the scene. At this time, a very dense fog began to rise out of the ground and off the river, and it seemed to settle in a particular matter over both encampments. I recollect this providential occurrence perfectly well, and so very dense was the atmosphere that I could scarcely discern a man at six yards distance. We tarried until the sun had risen, but the fog remained as dense as ever. Against all odds, the fog remained until the last boat, with General Washington in it, had left the shore. As the fog lifted, the British were shocked to find the American trenches empty. They ran to the shore and started firing on the last four boats, which were now out of range of their guns. And by the time the British were able to move their cannons into position, the Americans had completely escaped. Here's an important question for you this morning that I must ask. Do you 
Do you trust in God to provide what you need when you need it? I think that's a question we have to ask ourselves. Do you trust that God will provide what I need when I need it? Or do I let worry and anxiety and fear take over when the answers are not clear? Are you a worrier? Just ask yourself that question. Are you, are you a worrier? Are you, are you the kind of person that lets life, that lets worry occupy your thoughts and keeps you from enjoying your life? Does anxiety often cause you to lie awake at night or to break into a cold sweat when your mind gets to racing? In the quiet early mornings when you wake up, do you get a knot in the pit of your stomach? that causes you to stare at the ceiling as you wait for the alarm to sound? Does fear paralyze you and keep you from making decisions? Does it steal your joy because, well, you're just not sure how things are going to work out? Does that describe you? Can we be really honest and transparent with each other this morning for a little bit? I want to know, how many of you... And I'm just asking you to raise your hand. How many of you is worry and, and anxiety and fear something that is an issue for you? Something that you struggle with a little bit? And I think that you know, and I know I didn't expect everybody in the room to raise their hand, but I know that that's something that a lot of us do struggle with. Today, I want to make something clear. Today, I want you to understand that as I speak and as we look into God's Word and what Jesus has to say about this topic, I'm not here to chastise you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad if you happen to be someone who struggles with these things. Worry is a very human emotion. It's a very real struggle for many of us. My hope today is that, the, that we can look at the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and find some ways that we can begin to maybe control and conquer worry, anxiety, and fear in our life. And I think... It's important to talk about because I believe in this simple truth. So up on the screen, if you want to start filling in in your outline, it says it breaks, and I believe this is the absolute truth, I believe it breaks the heart of the Father when his children do not trust him to provide. I believe it breaks the heart of the Father when his children don't trust him to provide. And I want to talk about that a little bit today. I want, as a father, I know I can speak, that it would break my heart if I felt like my children couldn't trust me to provide for them. That would break my heart. And I think most of you understand what that's like, that if, if you knew someone was depending on you and you weren't able to provide for them or they didn't trust that you could, how heartbreaking that would be, regardless of the reason. And I believe it breaks the heart of our Heavenly Father when we don't trust Him to provide. So here's the big question the big question for the day is this. Do worry, anxiety, and fear keep you from enjoying each day and sleeping well at night? And I think that's an important question to ask. If that describes you, then I think today's message, I hope, will not go to, to make you feel bad and guilty or, or anything like that. What I hope it does is I hope it will give you some tools you can use to begin overcoming fear and anxiety and worry in your life. Because I think that's exactly why Jesus said what he did here at the end of chapter 6 in Matthew. 
here in the Sermon on the Mount. As we honestly answer this question and we look at the last part of Matthew 6, we see Jesus addressing this issue with his followers. Based on what he said here, there's no doubt that Jesus wants us to live a life that is free of worry, anxiety, and fear so that we can trust in God's provision and show how God will indeed provide what we need when we need it. And so let's examine this passage. Let's take from it as much as we can. If you want to follow along in your Bible, the words will be on the screen as well. We're just going to kind of march through this passage verse by verse. We're going to start in chapter, uh, verse 25 of Matthew 6. Matthew 6, 25. How can we conquer worry, anxiety, and fear in our life? We're just going to jump right in today. Let's look at Matthew 6, 25. It says this. Therefore, Jesus says these words. I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Let's think about what Jesus is saying there. Let's start this with this thought. I want to give you today six questions that you can kind of ask yourself every day. If this is a real struggle for you, fear, anxiety, and, and worry, if that's something that does tend to be, and we all have it to a certain degree at different times, but to a point where maybe it's really impacting your life, I want to ask six questions. I want to give you six questions that you can ask yourself when you're really struggling with this that hopefully can help you begin to bring these things under control. And the first question I want to ask you is this, based on that verse we just read, is do you trust the giver of life to sustain it? Do you trust the giver of life to sustain it? And here's what I believe Jesus meant when he was saying this, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is life not more than food? Is the body not more than clothes? Think about it. If you believe God is the creator of life, and as the creator of all things, if you believe God made you and gave you life, don't you think he's going to provide what is needed to sustain that life? Doesn't that make sense? If you believe that he created you. Look, we can. I, I, as I was studying this, I began to think, you know, this story, these words of Jesus kind of are illustrated perfectly back at the very beginning in the creation story. Look with me. Flip back to Genesis chapter 2 if you want. We're going to look at a couple of verses here because I believe God made it really clear what his intention was right there when he was making Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 2. Look at what verses 8 through 10 say in Genesis. It says this, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden, and from there it was separated in the four headwaters. And he goes on to continue describing it. Right here in the beginning, right here at the creation, God did not create people and then withdraw back into heaven and wish them good luck and pat them on the rear end. He didn't say, yeah, I think y'all got it now. Hopefully you'll figure out how to survive this thing. You see, he provided for them, and he provided for them well. He created them, and he loved them, and he wanted them to flourish, and he provided for them what they needed. And so I think this very first question is, do you trust the giver of life, the giver of your life? Do you trust that he's going to sustain that? Do you trust that he's going to provide what you need to sustain your life? I think if you can wake up in the morning on a day when maybe the stresses are building, 
and the anxiety is starting to push against your happiness and your joy, you can say, God, I know you made me, and therefore I know you will sustain me. Can you make that a prayer? How far will that go in helping you learn to deal with and control worry and anxiety and fear in your life? Do I trust that the giver of life will sustain it? Jesus continues in Matthew chapter 6. Let's look at verse 26 and see what he has to continue saying. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Here's the second question. If you can wake up in the morning, especially on those days when you're struggling, and ask yourself this question, do you realize how valuable you are to the Father? Do you realize how valuable you are to the Father? I don't care where you've been, what you've done, how you were raised, whether you got this whole Christianity thing figured out or not. Do you know how very valuable you are to the Father? You're His child, and He loves you. Now, as we continue with this thought, You know, some people will look at this. Okay, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And sometimes it's kind of easy to maybe misinterpret what Jesus is saying there. There's an old fable, Aesop fable, that you've probably heard before. Here's how it goes like this. It says, in a field one summer's day, a grasshopper was hopping about, chirping and singing to its heart's content. An ant passed by, bearing along with great toil and an ear of corn he was taking to the nest. Why not come and chat with me, said the grasshopper, instead of toiling and moiling in that way. I am helping to lay up food for the winter, said the ant, and recommend you do the same. Why bother about winter, said the grasshopper. We've got plenty of food at present, but the ant went on its way and continued its toil. When the winter came and the grasshopper found itself dying of hunger, while it saw the ants distributing every day corn and grain from the stores they had collected in the summer, then the grasshopper knew. Then the grasshopper knew it's best to prepare for the days of necessity. Here's my point. Let me urge you not to mistake the words of Jesus here to advocate laziness. And, and to say that we don't need to work hard and to prepare every day for ourselves and our families and to provide for them. As a matter of fact, going back to the creation story in Genesis chapter 2, I think we see just the opposite. I think we see that in the creation God gave them, there was not an expectation of I can just sit back and hold my hand out and expect God Almighty to give me what I want without any effort. Look at what he says in Genesis 2.15. He says, The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. You see, when we look at the story, we see God's provision comes along with our effort, with our work, with, with our joining him in the work that he's doing. You see, God's provision is not an excuse to sit back with your hand out extended, waiting on God to give you everything you need. There is clearly an expectation throughout God's word, throughout the Bible, that we will work hard and use God's provision to its fullest. You see, Jesus' words here in verse 26 in the Sermon on the Mount 
or to point out just how valuable you are to God and how much he loves you. God takes care of the animals who can't provide for themselves. And you are so much more valuable to him than even they are. Work hard on the things, and I think this is an important lesson to learn. Work hard on the things that you can control, but trust God with the things you can't. And there will certainly be many things in your life that you can't control, you know? But as long as we take care of the things that he's given us to take care of, there are going to be many times when we encounter things that we can't. And that's when I think the words Jesus says in verse 27 come into play. Matthew 6, 27 says this, Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to his life? Here's the point. Here's the question you can ask yourself when you wake up in the morning. Do you know that you're not the one in control? Do you know that, really? I have a hard time with that. I want to be in control of everything. I want to be in control. I don't like being told I'm not in control of something. But you know what? I'm not. I'm not in control. There are clearly things in my life and in your life that you can't control. We can work hard. We can buy, try to be decent people in the way we treat others. We can make good decisions. But there comes a point when we must realize at the end of the day, our life is in God's hands. No, ma- no amount of worrying, no amount of anxiety is going to change God's love for you, nor is it going to change the hour in which he intends to call you home. When we learn to trust that God, no matter what, When we learn to trust him no matter what happens, I learn to trust that my life is in God's hands and he will provide everything I need until that moment that he's ready to call me home to be with him for eternity. And we can begin to experience confidence instead of worry. We can begin to experience peace instead of anxiety. My worries and my anxiety as I lay in bed at night and my head gets to racing, and I can't think about anything else, is not going to add or subtract a single minute from what God's plan is for me. I'm not in control. And the sooner I learn that and realize that the giver of my life will sustain it, and I can trust him to provide it, I can start to relax a little bit and say, you know, I'm not in control, and that's okay. But we got to continue through the verse to get the full picture here and through the full passage here. Let's jump down to um, verse 28. 28 through 30 in Matthew chapter 6. This is the next part of what Jesus says. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothed the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And here's the question that I think we've got to ask ourselves when we wake up in the morning and we're dealing with stress and anxiety and fear and and doubt. When we're facing these things, here's the question. Do you see how worrying is an indication of your faith? Do you see how worrying is an indication of your faith? And I think it's important for us to to start off understanding what this little phrase means. Jesus ends this little 
verse, this little passage here, was saying you of little faith. And this is a phrase he uses several times in the New Testament. You might remember he used it with, with Peter. He used it with the disciples when they were on the boat and the storm was raging. And he said, peace be still. And he turned and said, you of little faith. He says this several times. And it feels a little bit like a chastisement. feels a little bit like he's maybe even being belittling a little bit. But I think it's important for you to know that the phrase, the literal translation of this phrase into English, if it were put literally the way it's written, the phrase would, instead of saying, you of little faith, it would say, little faith ones. It was like Jesus saying, little faith ones, please. Understand, what Jesus is doing, he's not trying to belittle and chastise. He's not trying to make them feel bad about themselves. He's not calling them faithless urchins or something like that. What he's saying is, is he, it's a bit of a term of endearment. I see it not as him pointing his finger and scowling and being angry. You of little faith, how dare you worry? What I hear him saying is, is coming up beside me with his hands around my arm and saying, Child, I want to help you grow. I want to give you everything. I want to show you how, I, how my Father will provide for you. A little faith one. I will take care of you. Trust me. He wants to see our faith grow. And I think this whole purpose through this whole message isn't to make you feel bad because you worry. Because, hey, we all do it. It's a part of all of our lives. It's a natural emotion we experience. But what he wants to do is come along and say, trust me. Let this be something that develops and grows your faith. Here, take this situation that you're stressed about right now, that you're so worried about. Turn it over to the Father and see how he provides. And when he does, I guarantee you, your faith will be stronger for it. And Jesus, I believe, is trying to be encouraging in this passage. And he's saying, God already knows what you need. He made you. He has it under control. You see, for Jesus, the question isn't whether or not God will provide what we need. Jesus doesn't question that at all here. He knows that God will provide what we need. The question is whether or not we're going to trust in God to provide what we need, the things that we can't control in our life. You of little faith, he's saying, let's build this faith. Let's begin to trust him with these things you can't control. When you begin to ask this question, do you see how worry is an indication of your faith? And begin to say, okay, instead of worrying, I'm turning it over to God and I'm trusting him. I don't know how he's going to answer. And it may not be the answer I was looking for. But I trust that God knows best. I trust that God wants what's best for his creation, for his children, for me. And when we do that, our faith begins to grow. And so let's look at verses 31 through 33. Let's continue moving through this. It says this. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And here's an important question that I believe really, I really believe this is the key question to the whole passage. I believe if you can't ask any of these other questions of yourself, ask this one. 
is this. Do you know where to focus your thoughts each day? Do you know where to focus your thoughts each day? When you wake up in the morning and all of a sudden worry and anxiety start circling around in your head, where do you turn your thoughts? Okay, Jesus, I'm not supposed to worry. Then where should I turn my thoughts? What should I think about if I'm not? Because we all know you can't just think about nothing. Try it for a second. Think about nothing. <laughs> Don't think about the elephant. Don't do it. You know, it doesn't work. You can't think about nothing. So here's the point. What are you going to fill your mind with? What are you going to replace those thoughts and worries and anxieties and, and fears in your life? What can you replace them with? And I think Jesus gives us exactly that in verse 33. He says, but seek first his kingdom and seek first his righteousness and all this other stuff's going to get taken care of when you do. Think about this question. Why are we here? Why were you created? I mean, the answer is easy in terms of we could go to a passage we've looked at a lot. Matthew 22 is my favorite one to, to answer this question most simply. Matthew 22, 37 and 38. The Pharisees had asked Jesus, what is the most important law? And Jesus says this. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Here's the point. Jesus says, we are here for God's glory. It is God's desire that everything we do somehow brings him glory and honor and praise. He loves us and he desires our love for him in return. We are here for his glory. Here's the thing. When we start each day, are your thoughts focused on how God can use you? Are you focused on, on how, how you can bring glory to God with your life? Are you focused on how can, how can somehow can you be a part of building God's kingdom here on earth? The worries and the concerns no longer rule your thoughts and actions when you do. Think about that. When I wake up in the morning and my first thought is, God, today, how can I bring you glory with the way I live? God, how can I build your kingdom today on earth somehow? I trust that these things I'm worried about but I can't control are in your hands and that you'll provide when I'm seeking first your kingdom, when I'm seeking first your righteousness. I'm not righteous on my own. But when I seek after his righteousness, when I try to do things that please him and honor him and obey him, when I go after things that he's commanded of me and I said, God, you are the Lord of my life. God, I give you everything. I am going to seek your kingdom today. I'm going to seek to build you up with my children, with my spouse, with the people I work with. I'm going to seek to somehow build the church and God's kingdom somehow. I want God to be glorified with my life today. I simply am not going to waste another minute worrying about the things I can't control or the things that have already been done. Because I know the promise of God is that if I seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be taken care of. Because I'm his child. And because the Father wants to provide for me. And because the Father gave me life and will do whatever it takes to sustain it. 
And I trust that. And when you begin to trust that, the things that you were worrying about before, it's not that they go away, but they begin to melt. They begin to fade a little further into the background. They begin to become things that, well, they're, they're God's problem now, not yours. That's a hard thing to do. But I think it's something that we can learn to do. Not all at once. I'm not saying if you start asking these questions tomorrow morning, every worry and anxiety and fear in your life is going to suddenly magically be gone. But I think maybe tomorrow that worry could just be a notch less. That anxiety could have just a slight less hold on you. And I think maybe the day after that it could reduce just a little bit more. And who knows, a few weeks down the road, a few months down the road, all of a sudden you find that you're living your life for him and his kingdom and his glory instead of obsessing over your worry and your fear and your anxiety. How awesome would that feel? To know that your focus each day is on building his kingdom, not on making sure yours doesn't fall apart. It could be such a relief, so much joy to be had, knowing you're being used by the Father, knowing you're being used for a purpose, knowing he has a purpose for you. The very last verse of this passage of chapter 6, verse 34, says this, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Here's the last question you can ask yourself as you work through this. Do you realize that God wants your heart right now? Do you realize he wants to be the Lord of your life right now? This verse isn't about planning ahead or not planning ahead. Jesus is not telling us to not plan and prepare for the future. What he's telling us is that there's no need for us to obsess over it. There's no need to worry about it. There's no need to allow anxiety and fear to control you as you think about your plans for the future, as you prepare for your future. You see, if you give God your heart today and you allow Him to be the Lord of your life today, you can rest assured that He is going to provide for you both today and tomorrow. Control what you can. Work hard and trust God. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible, says trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. You see, I believe this with all my heart. Faith in God means that we're going to focus on our mission and trust in his provision each day. When I can focus on why I'm here and bringing him glory and what he's calling me to do, and, and I've made this point before, I don't believe God calls us to things tomorrow. I don't believe he calls us to things next Friday. I believe whenever, when you look at scripture and you look at the different people Jesus called throughout the Bible, he always called them to today, what was right in front of them. And I believe that's what he's doing for you as well. I don't believe he's calling you right now 
about your future. I believe he's saying, why don't we worry about the future when it gets here? Why don't you do what I'm calling you to do today? The people I've put in front of you and around you, the mission I've given you, the job I've given you, whatever that is. Today, if you're faithful to that, then I will give you something new tomorrow. I will give you a new calling. I will give you some other way to build my kingdom. But today, let's focus on this one. And when we begin doing that, we see that conquering worry and anxiety and fear is not impossible. It actually becomes something that Jesus intended for us to do all along. I think if you use these six questions when you wake up in the morning, I think they can help you with your worry and your anxiety and and your fear as you struggle with them. Allow the words of Jesus to become words you trust and believe in. Cast your anxieties upon him like he calls. He says in, 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 in 1 Peter says this, 5 verses 6 and 7, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because... He cares for you. Matthew eleven, twenty-eight 28 through 30. These are the very words of Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so here's what I want to know from you. Are you tired of living a life of worry and anxiety and fear? Or would you like to begin living a life that says, I know God's going to take care of me. I don't know how, but I know he will. And I know he's given me a mission today, and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. I'm going to work hard at it. And as I do, I know that he's going to provide for me. Is that a life you want to start living? Is that a prayer that you really have for him? Today, we're going to have an invitation time like we do each week. But today, I just want it to simply be this, because I know that so many of us struggle with this whole idea of fear and anxiety and doubt. I'm just going to, I'm going to give you an opportunity to to lift this up. To spend a little time praying before God. Help me develop in my faith. Help Help me trust you. Help me become a child that knows his father will provide for him. And if you need to come forward and you'd like to pray with somebody, if you'd like one of our prayer partners to pray with you and to help you in that prayer, We'd, one of them will meet you up front if you want to do that. Uh, we also, in our invitation times, if, if you're saying, you know what, we've been visiting this church for a while, and we know this church is our church family now. We, we want to place our membership here. We want to stand before this church and proclaim that we're believers just like you are, and we want to be part of the family. I welcome you to come up. We'd love to talk to you about that. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never trusted him, and you'd like to know more about how to do that, we'd like to talk to you about that too.
I'd love to have that conversation with you. If those are things you're thinking, you can come forward as we sing. You can pull me aside after the service is over. We can talk about it however you're comfortable. But don't leave here today without responding to what you've just heard. Respond to what the Spirit's saying to you through the Word of God. Let's let Him take our anxiety and our worry and our fear and let's begin living the life he's called us to live. Pray with me. Father, we come before you this morning and we, every one of us struggles to some degree or another with worry and, and fear and anxiety. But God, we know it's something that you, that you want us desperately to trust in you and depend on you as we seek first your kingdom and, and your righteousness. So God, in these things, we lay our anxieties at your feet. We ask you to give us a peace through your Holy Spirit that goes beyond any understanding that we have. A supernatural peace that can only come from you. God, I pray that becomes the kind of peace and joy we live with each day as we focus on what you've called us to do. Please move us. Please draw us near to you. In Jesus' name.